everyone. Hi, everyone. Today, we are going to talk about one of my characters that is not from Sam in New York, but he is from an older series that I used to be working on. And he will be featured in the crossover role play that I'm making with Tete. What comes first will follow. His name is Ardayan Mayakov, and he is a provocateur. There is a quote that I want to read you that summarizes his personality very well. And it is basically from the, the RP that me and Tete have been doing and will be released on Tapas and Webtoon in the future. Huh. You're certainly a blunt fellow, Andrei Danilovich. No, you needn't worry. The women who come to me are not soft, sweet souls. I'm not into those kinds of women anyways. You're right. Those soft, sweet, virginal types wouldn't want anything to do with me. I'm too belligerently antagonistic, too nihilistic, too exceedingly libidinous and vulgar for them. Well, that's what they'd probably say about a fellow like me, someone who enjoys all the good things that the world has to offer. Are you a connoisseur of all things good on earth too? Andrei Danilovich. So that basically summarizes Ardayan's personality. What do you have to say, Tete? Do you, how would you summarize his personality? And can you tell us a little bit about how you first encountered this character? Well, thank you so much. It's great to see him back again. Um, I mean, not all for obvious reasons, but for different reasons. Um, when I when we first when I first met Arda Yon through your works, it was through an earlier work that you had been doing. And we had first encountered him through the viewpoint of different characters, Katya and a number of other characters, including his sons. So he was, and at least in the son's point of view, a bit of an unflattering character. You know, it's often like the old proverb says, you know, the sons hate their father. Katya, on the other hand, was more sympathetic because Katya brings out the best. I mean, Katya would even bring out the best in the devil. And speaking of the devil, uh, Ardayon is a bit of a Mephisto, uh, as we say in Latin, or a Mephistopheles. He's a devil, he's a tempter, a provocateur. Um, he is essentially the provocateur in any sense of that. Um, he is, he is, he embraces nihilism. He embraces a sort of fatalistic mis misanthropy, which differs from different types of other misanthropy as we have explored in previous episodes like with Gleb. Um, my, my, my encounter with Ardayan was always a little bit different than what he was showing because I think many times what people purport themselves to be, what they declare themselves to be can often be different than what they're giving out to other people. So Ardayan says he's libidinous and vulgar and things like that. I think perhaps in the recesses of his subconscious he is, but then again, so many of us human beings are, it's just a basic instinct. I think on the other hand, I've always seen him as sort of a dignified officer not too dignified i mean he's not he's not a heroic type like um like this one person i'm watching in this melodrama that i'll talk about later um because it's a good melodrama i'll recommend it i will recommend it um but uh you know i think he's a sort of guy i think i think he knows what he's doing i, I think he's very 
he's calculating, he knows how to get ahead. But at the same time, he compartmentalizes his life. And I think, you know, he is, he is sort of um, a person who wants to enjoy the good things in life, but you have to define what is good. I think what he wants is pleasure in his life and be that of the pleasure of pride, ego, or eros or lust, you know. So this is a man who is willing to glut himself on ego and eros, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, I've, I've always, but, but at the same time, I've always wanted to explore what happens when that gasoline runs out and you're left with an empty shell of a man. So I've always wanted, I, I, I kind of explored that a little bit when I kind of, when you sort of entrusted me with him and I wrote about him, I think, in, um, I think I wrote like three, didn't I write, I think I wrote two works with him, I believe. I think so. One of them was about um, him in Italia, right? One was with him in Italia and Katya in a Grecian styled afterlife. Oh, yes. Yeah. And then the second one was um, where, I guess, spoilers for the old series. Um, he uh, he was he was uh, doing a certain something because many things were coming into his life. So, oh, I remember now. Yeah. Like he, he thought that he had to end his own life. Right. Was it that right. one? Yeah. Yeah. Because, that was the one and I, I yeah. kind of wrote him doing that. Which yeah. Was, Cause he, well, basically the commissars were coming after him and they wanted to purge him. Right. So then he yes, just felt exactly. like everything was ending. Yeah. He did. So yeah, I, I kind of wrote that where he did take his own life and that was so, one of the most challenging works I ever did, because I never wrote anything like that, Nardayan was kind of a stepping stone into drawing onto that darker side of humanity, yet at the same time, he he sort of found peace with himself because he realized so much is vanity, you know, as Ecclesiastics mm-hmm. would say, you know? I remember that one now. You know what? I feel like I want to do an audiobook version of that short story. OMG, that would be awesome. That would be, I think that would be great if we could do that. Yeah. I could do it later today. I mean, I, I feel like it today for some reason. Oh I really feel like revisiting everything related to Arda Yan. Absolutely. I can link it to you uh, through my uh, gallery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yes, yeah. I would say that Ardayan is really like Mephistopheles. As you said, um, he has a lot of things that are very similar to Trump. You know, he's <laughs> astonishingly misogynistic in the way that he's a womanizer. And he's also extremely misanthropic. But at the same time, he has class, which Trump arguably doesn't have. No. <laughs> He does not. So this is why he's like Mephistopheles, because Mephistopheles has class. Yeah, that, that lad's got class. Every demon's got class. That's what makes them so, so damningly tempting. <laughs> <laughs> he can also be compared to Philip Roth's Mickey Sabbath, whom Jude Cook of The Guardian calls, you know, Mickey Sabbath. Philip Roth's supernova of sin, which always made me laugh. I mean, he is in a way, you know, like the embodiment of a lot of sins. And as Jude Cook describes him on The Guardian, the anti-hero of Roth's 1995 novel, Sabbath Theater, blinds us with his astonishing misogyny, his exponential misanthropy, his audacious nihilism. And yet he makes us care. Do you think that Ardeyan Okay, maybe he's not as extreme as Sabbath, because Sabbath, if you read the novel, he has a lot of fetishes. 
He's very selfish. He has no class. Yeah, he's basically like Trump, but even worse in a lot of senses. So Um, like, do you think, I think the only similarity is that they're both exceedingly flawed men, Arda Yan and Mickey Sabbath. But then at the same time, both of them make us care about them despite these flaws. Right. I think that's what the commonality they have is not so much the features, um, but the actual concept of their character. Arda Yan surprisingly made me care about him. Uh, the more I sort of took reins and, you know, also I think it's also another interesting thing to explore characters. Um, people, be it audience or creators or co-creators or collaborators, they will view and treat a character differently. They're, the character will affect everybody differently. Mm-hmm. So for example, I view Ardayan in a somewhat different way than perhaps you do. Um, you know, and, and just, it's it's a variation. So um, that's another aspect to think about. But yes, I did care about Ardayan, ironically. I never thought I would because he'd be the sort of person I would, you know, probably, you know, dare I say it, maybe toss off a train, like, bye, buddy, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, li- li- figuratively speaking, <laughs> um, but I did, I did care about him, and I, I think he, you know what it is, uh, you might as well, you know, just, you know, toss this out here. I think it's because Ardayana, unfortunately, reminds, evokes memories of some men in, uh, in my family. I don't, I didn't know them personally, but I felt the effects of their action through uh, the rest of my family. Um, mm-hmm. Sort of like, I think Ardayana is a little bit um, like my father's father in many respects. Um, this is a man that was driven so much by ego and eros. Now, in, in my father's father's case, I don't call him my grandfather because he died like six years before I was born. And he did so many awful things that still reverberate within the family, which Mm -hmm. I don't really get into, but you know. Um, He was a man consumed by ego. And it was just, just a sickening, sickening consumption of ego and pride and just wanting to be esteemed in the world and for what when you sacrifice everything and you become nothing more than an empty hollow shell of a man and as my father described when he was dying of a stroke my father spent the last 90 seconds of his life with him in in that hospital room he saw his father as nothing more with it contained within this empty shell of a man who had accomplished a good deal in the American conventional um, society was nothing more than a scared, frightened, vulnerable child wrapped within the husk of an empty man that had long been consumed and sucked dry by ego and vanity. And mm-hmm. I think Artegon evoked a lot of that. And I think it made it very poignant for me because even though I didn't experience it directly, I experienced the reverberations indirectly of the various problems that it had caused uh, in in family and psychology as well. Mm -hmm. And I think I wanted to explore that, what drives men to be like this and do they have humanity in them? Because Mm -hmm. it's so easy to hate people who do these things. Exactly. I agree. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I think that's one of the reasons I'm really interested in in Ardayan because he's an embodiment of many bad traits, but that doesn't mean his humanity has disappeared. It's still there, right. just in it's a different good. way. Exactly. And I think he's a really good counterpoint to characters like Sam, who are much more mundane. Right, exactly. I think they are. And and also, you know, Sam is Sam, you know, is 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 positive. I mean, you know, I would I would want, I don't know, to be a, have a friend as a Sam. I would like to have Sam as a friend. But uh would I like to know Ardayan? Not really, not unless I could, I don't know, be judgmental towards him because unfortunately that's one of my flaws too, is that I just want to rag on people. Mm. <laughs> but yeah. And another thing about um, Arde Jan is that he's a provocateur, as we discussed. And this character trait, I don't know if it's a flaw per se, but in Arde Jan's case, it would definitely be a flaw because it's combined with his arrogance. Do you think Lev, as we previously discussed, counts as a provocateur? Because he also is someone who fights against the system and you know he is kind of obsessed with giving the middle finger to American and Russian society when he was living there. That's the thing. The very definition of provocateur can also be seen as agitator. So um, Ardayan agitates. He purposefully wants to set in motion aggression and an aggression reaction towards that. However, Lev is not so much that. Lev is, Lev wants to set something in motion. So I would like to say that Lev is more of an instigator. He instigates something, an action, a course of action to be taken that will have consequences and results it towards the mean of objection that he has, like most notably social change, um, rights for workers, rights for the, um, if we're going to use some leftist terms, I guess, pro proletariat, you know, he wants to see the working class, you know, not be oppressed, he wants rights, you know, he's with the labor unions and things. And, you know, also, he, he wants to see more uh, justice and equality. Um, so these are courses of actions. Meanwhile, Ardayon is a reactionary. He wants a reaction from someone. For example, um, he was pretty much like with, for example, the RP when he engaged with uh, Andre, he was pretty much sticking stick. He was pretty much sticking a stick at a wounded lion, mm -hmm. and I'm I'm surprised it ended peacefully as it did because <laughs> if Andre hadn't 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 been in his condition, he probably would have grabbed him and tossed him across the room. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but but yeah, he's not. So I think he differs from Lev in that respect. So provocateur is not an instigator, I would say. Mm -hmm. And I think Lev and Arda Jan's reactions to authority might be similar, but how they react to people is different, wouldn't you say? Because Lev doesn't really provoke people per se. Like he is trying to instigate a social movement, but he doesn't do so by provoking people on an individual level, while it seems like Arda Jan is doing that and he enjoys it. Exactly, exactly. And also I think, Ardayan to me, which is sort of a survival skill that you have to have when you're working with a regime like 
and I, that's what I will call it. It's a regime, um, you know, like the Soviet Union. You have to be kind of multifaceted. You have to have a two-faced. You have to be Janus-faced. So while Ardayon, in the back of his mind, doesn't like authority or convention, at the same time, he has to submit to it, comply to it, and verbally show and speak and say that he does accept it because he is in the military. He is an officer, so he has to say, you know, oh, yes, the state, the state, the state, you know, the state. Um, and yes, I want to be, you know, good Soviet citizen, you know, all that lovely jazz. And, um, you know, but at the same time, but, you know, but then again, that's why maybe why he embraced it in the first place, because sort of the beginning, you know, when, when you see the sort of different stages of Sovietism, if you want to call it that, uh, it was all about breaking conventions of, you know, the imperial society and things like that. And I think Ardayan liked that. However, slowly over time, uh, especially like after the period of Lenin, um, everything got into convention and then it just became solid steel stagnation, you know. Mm -hmm. And I think maybe Arda Young grew dissatisfied with it, but he found himself kind of trapped in it. He painted himself in a corner by supporting and aligning himself with this, which he probably didn't have any choice because if you didn't, you could end up really, really bad like Andre. And it's, you know, like I said, it's a miracle Andre got out of that. Mm -hmm. you know? Exactly. Andre had this kind of yeah. So mm -hmm. different response to authority. I mean, that's my take because it's a little bit more complicated when you're dealing with society and government in that respect mm -hmm. yeah hmm. yeah I agree yeah. so another difference between um Ardeyan and Lev would be I guess like the way they present themselves you know I think Ardeyan presents himself as not only a rebel but also as someone who is kind of comical and mischievous in a way would you say hmm I, I think, I think perhaps the way you portray him, yes, the way I work with him, I think I have him a bit more serious. I think I have him more, more witty. I think I have him as a man who exudes wit and sort of a, an air of seduction about him, mm -hmm. you know, it's not a sultry seduction. It's not of the Latin flavor, but it's more of an elegance of the modern 20th century of a man being fueled by ego that is then supplicated by Eros, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. Like Mad Men, mm -hmm. you know? like the show mm -hmm. Mad Men. Exactly. You know? Yeah. While, while Lev is, I don't know, what is he driven by? Conviction? Well, yeah, Lev, Lev, is, Lev is cool. Lev is driven by conviction and, and rights for society and beliefs and, you know, this is right. or And also being open to things like, Yes, this is how old people, this is the old way of thinking, but what if there's a, new, a better way of thinking? Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, so Lev's progressive. I mean, Lev is, I mean, all thumbs up for me, you know, on Lev's part. I've mm -hmm. always said Lev is they, either way. Is Arda Jan progressive? He says he is, but would you say he's progressive? Oh my gosh. I guess in some respect, I mean, the only reason I feel like Ardayan, like many other people, um, just jumped on the bandwagon and said, oh, let's just paint the whole town red, literally, um, is only because it promised him 
political and you know monetary gain. Otherwise, I think Ardayan would have just stayed with like you know imperialism. Like, oh yeah, imperialism. It's giving me money and you know <laughs> money and money yeah, and women. That's true. That's the only thing he really cares about, right? Exactly. So yeah. So he's not progressive. Certainly not his views on women. Like. Even ironically, even Andre has more progressive views on him. And Andre's supposed to be in the eyes of mm-hmm. how people perceive him. And so you, he's supposed to be the misogynist. Yeah, he is. <laughs> yeah. No, I guess compared to Arde Yan, he's not misogynistic. No. No, no, he's not. I mean, Andre. Yeah, Andre's a little bit old fashioned, but at least every morning he drinks that respect women juice. I guess the old fashioned thing makes people think he might be misogynistic, right? Yeah, I, I think it's because Andre's like, I mean, Andre is very open to like, like women having jobs and doing stuff. <laughs> but at the same time, he feels like, you know, women shouldn't be doing a lot of tough, heavy stuff. Like that's supposed to be a man's job. And then he also thinks that, you know, once a woman gets married, unless you're really starving or something, um, you know, the woman should be the, like the, the little heart, the little fire of the house, you know, she needs to be the mm-hmm. heart of the house. But what if she doesn't have that personality type? That's the problem. And then Andre's like, okay, that's going to cause some problems. I mean, at least for him, because mm-hmm. he, he just has that old fashioned idea of, of, of beat, you know, that I understand, idea but not every woman wants to stay at home. Like some of them no, they think don't. it's really boring or what if they're like infertile? They can't have children. So where are they staying home for? Well, then I guess, I guess, well, that's the thing. I mean, I think if if a woman is faced with all those um, different aspects or differentiations, um, Andre's like, well, then I guess she can go and do what she wants. Like if she, if she doesn't want to have kids or she can't have kids, then she should probably you know, go and get a job and then I guess try to work out if she's married, work it out somehow. But Andre's like, you know, when you're married and have kids, you know, can you really have it both? I mean, and this isn't to say that Andre is, you know, trying to rain on anyone's parade or he's being misogynistic. Mm -hmm. It's just that Andre just has a a very fixed idea of what home and family life is Mm -hmm. because of the society he came from. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, just because a woman is at home doesn't mean she's going to be bored. Andre, in his mind, feels that the woman exudes a lot more power than the man does because she's probably has full control of a lot of things, Mm -hmm. including Mm -hmm. finances, how the family Mm -hmm. is in society, the education. So as he always thinks, you know, yeah, the man may be sitting his rear end on the saddle, but it's his wife holding the reins and driving mm-hmm. the horse, you know. But not every woman is so self-motivated. A lot of housewives, for example, are like, we're stagnant, right? Especially after yeah. the kids are like grown up. Let's say they're not necessarily grown up, but like 15 or 16. And let's say they turn 20, but then the woman has never worked a day in her life. And now she's 50 years old, has never had a job. And what's she going to do for the rest of her life? The kids are gone out of the house now. Yeah. And she never I did think- anything before. So she's going to stay at home until she's 80. I think, I think with, I think Andre, Andre's views on that, how do I say? like his idea of like the home life, I think it only extends to until the kids are like 13. And then after that, the life, the, the family life is kind of 
dissipated a bit, you know, because mm-hmm. the kids are dependent and everything. And then, you know, the woman should do what she wants, mm-hmm. you know. Um, what if no Andre one wants to hire her? I don't know. Because she's I mean, never had any working experience. Like, let's say at 18, after finishing school, she instantly gets married and then the kids and then they grow up. But then she's never worked a day in her life. So what does she do now? Does she have to go to the factory? No, I I think I think Andre, I think Andre would just sort of how do I say because Andre's not dictating to other people how they live their lives, but it's like he, he believes in sort of giving the woman space to decide what she wants to do. It's just what he desires, but he's not going to say what he desires. He's just kind of hoping it falls into place, you know, but if it doesn't, he's not going to lose sleep over it. Um, I think, and then this is how it kind of played out in his life. It's like, he always gave Dasha room to do whatever she wanted. And of course, out of economic necessity, she had to work too, but at the same time, and this was also fueled by his worry for her working in factories and all that other insane crap. Um, he really wanted her to educate herself to get a more safe job. And she did, you know, she educated herself and became a telephone operator. Mm-hmm. Um, so he really encouraged that because you don't want your wife or, you know, anyone you love working in a factory where they could get their body smashed up by mm-hmm. years or mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. horror story there shit right there and she did have an accident one time at the factory she was that I mean she didn't lose any limbs but she fell down something and you know got hurt very bad and she was hospitalized for some time and that just scared the living daylights out of Andre and he was really insistent that she find a better job and you know just go to like a night school type of thing or whatever school or something um I'll figure it out um, once I do more research mm-hmm. on how people did this stuff. But yeah, I think I think Andre is it's a, it's the thing of where where you know he's a, he's a little bit old fashioned, but it's like that's what I personally want. He thinks, but he's not going to tell anybody else to do it. Mm-hmm. Or okay, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, yeah. But I was just saying that it's hard because a lot of these women, especially in the past, didn't have a lot of education. So either they would just stay at home for the rest of their lives, even after the kids are grown up, or they would have to work at factories, neither of which he wants. Right. Like, I don't think he wants a woman who's infertile. Like, let's say they were married to him and or the kids are already grown up. Let's say the kids are 25 years old. Right. Mm -hmm. So then the the wife has been staying at home for like seven years and she's not doing anything. Would would he like that? Yeah, I I mean, he doesn't want that. I mean, Andre's also sort of person. And this is also because of his background, ironically, ironically, uh, that he does place a good, a very good high value on education, you know, because I mean, this is also something that his culture kind of embraced was education mm-hmm. because they didn't want to end up like the peasantry who weren't, uh, who were uneducated mm-hmm. and got screwed around. Mm-hmm. So Andre is a big supporter of people educating themselves. And even if it's painful adapting to new things that are that, you know, that you have to adapt to, like um, learning a new way to educate yourself or learning about new things that are applicable that you have to learn in the new life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I, th- I think he, he's a very big supporter of all people educating themselves, but I think more so women, because Andre somehow, and this may feel a little bit 
pedestaling a little bit, which unfortunately he does a little bit. This is one of his flaws. He pedestals a bit. Um, he feels that women are a bit sharper and more perceptive than men. And mm, he feels okay. women do better in education than men do because he feels that men like himself are kind of stubborn jackasses that kind of screw things up while a woman would be smarter and educate herself and learn how to solve problems. But I think this is because, you know, Andre's, he's only seen like in, in, with his personal experience, he's only seen people like his aunt, um, the faint memories of his mother and Dasha who were all very, you know, capable, quick thinking women who solved things. So he hasn't dealt with someone, I don't know, like Senia throwing shade there. <laughs> how about Risa? How would she, how would he feel about her? I think he would like her. I think he'd think this is a smart woman and he would probably, I don't know, encourage her to be more sassy or something like, you know, tell your husband not to ignore you. You're a smart woman, Riza. Well, that's the thing. I don't, I think it's mutual. She's also ignoring him for certain things as well. That's true. That's true. But I, I guess maybe he would tell Lev, Lev, you have a smart wife. Don't ignore her. Oh, I don't know. I think Riza is not the kind of woman that, um, you know, um, Andre was pedalistizing pe previously. You know how he was talking about like the woman staying at home? She never does that. <laughs> like, I know he doesn't care about other people's lives, but then I'm just saying that she, he, she doesn't fit into what he personally wanted. Yeah, he, I guess I don't. Yeah, he probably she probably does. And I, I think with. um. Uh, I think with Andre, it's like he really can't say what other women should do or want to do, but it's just one of those things where his own experiences are very limited because it's like he's only had one uh, degree of type of woman, like maybe mm -hmm. various, like, for example, his aunt is different from Dash, Dasha, mm -hmm. but Dasha is like his aunt that she's very resourceful, very quick thinking, and, you know, she's the one essentially running the boat mm -hmm. of the family. Mm -hmm. But like, like he said, like after the kids are grown up, like after they are 13, even if the wife is at home, like doing all the same stuff that she did when the kids were, the, were like little, let's just say that there's an adult child living with them who's unable to get a full-time job. So then he or she is still living with them like now. <laughs> so yeah. does that count as beats or no? Like, does it only count when they're children? I think it only counts when they're children. Like for example, once the kids are 13 and they're doing more stuff at school and like all that stuff and you don't have to, you know, baby over them. But um, if they're Andre's 25 like, and unemployed. <laughs> well, Andre's like, that's tough luck. He's like, go what does that, what does that count as? <laughs> they're constantly at home. And then like, just kind of like a Lev and Riza situation where the parents become increasingly paranoid and hover over their 25-year-old son or daughter. Is that beats or is it unhealthy? <laughs> that, that's not beats. I mean, Andre's thinking, what the hell is that? He'd say, I mean, if he was in this situation, uh, well, first of all, he wouldn't let that happen. It'd be like, okay, as soon as you are 18 and you finish your education, you decide you're either going to bust your rear end for a scholarship to pursue something, or I am getting you work at steel mill or something else. And then he's going to drag you by the collar if you're a boy and take you to the steel mill if you're not going to study. 
but what if okay you let's say like um you did study but then somehow you just couldn't get a job after university so you come back home and then you live the life that you lived as a 13 year old your your parents do all the chores <laughs> and they cook all the meals the wife is doing all the stuff that she did when like the kids were little so that's not beads right it's not beat because here's the thing once the kid goes to university it'll be like okay honey you do whatever you want to do and like I don't know maybe his maybe the wife wants to become a pilot and she starts taking piloting lessons and she's gonna fly a plane and um son comes back he's like sorry son I'm busy at the steel mill and your mother's up flying an airplane in the sky there's soup on the stove see you later so it's not Levin Riser, right it's not Levin Riser, no <laughs> it was like and he's like if you can't find a job he said that's okay because life is unfair I understand but you got to put bread on the table, son, and you got to pull yourself by your own bootstraps. So I'm going to take you down to the steel mill and I'll pull a few strings to make sure you get the safest job. Like, I don't know, he's on the line or something. Mm -hmm. Well, that's Ribbon. good. Yeah. So he, he doesn't really stand for the whole unemployed living at home, not in education and just being pampered by the parents thing. <laughs> Exactly. He's not. No, none of that. That doesn't fly in the Navashkinov household. <laughs> do you think it flies in the Abramov household or do they just not have any other choice or, or that's how they feel anyways? I, I think they have no other choice, really. I mean, they love Sam too much, so they're not going to send him to the steel mill. Um, it's not that Andre would hate his child and make them work in the steel mill, but it would be like, he doesn't want them to live with the shame of not working and contributing because you have to remember how people viewed things like in Soviet Union. I mean, if you weren't working, you were kind of seen as kind of a piece of dirt, you know, mm -hmm, exactly you mm -hmm. contribute, you know, and mm -hmm. that's why they have all these damn posters of people, I don't know, laying bricks or something. But instead of steel mill, he might make you be a bricklayer. I mean, it's mm -hmm. safer that way. That's true. Mm -hmm. Bricklaying safe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, same in America, because it's a capitalistic society. If you're unemployed, you're scum. Yeah, but then, I don't know, sometimes <laughs> people take pity on you, like, oh, you didn't get your destiny or something, and um, then you get unemployment, which I don't think, I'll have to do some research on how things were with communism, but I don't think communism had anything like unemployment. It was like work or die, I guess, you know, mm -hmm. I guess, I mean. Which is that's why they very capitalistic in a way. It is so much for yeah, ironically, yeah. I mean, America's not as capitalistic if they give out unemployment. It's like it's I thought America true. America's like small if it was a libertarian government, like you know, all those right-wing people we're talking about, where there's no handouts or anything like that, then I guess it would be a true capitalist paradise. All right, sorry, we got cut off. Um, what were we talking about again? We were talking about capitalism versus communism. And ironically, communism at its core is more capitalistic than capitalism is. So it's like they played themselves. So good job with that, you know? Mm -hmm. I agree, yeah. Oh my God, we're so off topic. We're supposed to be talking about Arda Yan that we talked about Andre and his views on women and and then we but, but you know it's good though because but I mean you know it sort of gives a, a variation so I mean that now we can compare it to 
Art Ayan's view on women. So now we know what Andre thinks. Andre thinks women should be educated. They should pursue better jobs. Andre unfortunately pedestals women um, because he thinks they're smarter, more perceptive. Andre kind of holds women to a higher standard. And also Andre unfortunately kind of feels women are innocent victims a lot, but this is because of his limited experience. Mm -hmm. So he hasn't had really bad experiences with women, except for a few women he used to date, but he just kind of wrote them off as just being silly or young. So he hasn't mm -hmm. dealt with anyone like, you know, any really negative femme fatale or just ordinary person. I see. Or, you know, yeah. yeah. That makes sense. So, so how does Artyon, oh, sorry, sorry. I sorry, there was a lag, so I accidentally spoke over you. Oh, that's all right. Um, so how would you compare Andre's view on women with I with which I just explained lengthily and some some summarized to Ardayan? How would you describe the contrast? I would say that Ardayan he thinks that women definitely should get educated. This is something he believes in because he thinks that society needs to progress but he doesn't believe in beats or the home life. He's the kind of person who just wants absolute freedom and he finds family just another constricting convention. Like he doesn't find any comfort in it. He finds it constricting, boring, conventional, and basically one of those things that people kind of force on themselves because society tells them that's what you have to do to be happy. Right, right. How, how does he how does he view women in general? Like what's like emotionally, psychologically, physically, how does he, what, what are his viewpoints on them? I think he just thinks of women as people, but then he's extremely attracted to them. And then he also believes that, you know, women do have their own thoughts. Like, so he is progressive in a sense. He doesn't think that women are like totally incapable of thinking or anything. It's just that the behavior he exudes because of his libido and his libidinous nature just kind of overrides everything in his ego. Right, right. So in some aspects, he does share similarities with Andre, but different from Andre, because I think in his youth, Andre maybe was governed a little bit by his libido. And I mean, that's expected of Cossack society. I mean, they were pretty much real strong libido right there. But I think as Andre got older and matured, I think Andre just thought, you know, screw the libido, only use that to, you know, keep the flame in your marriage going, you know. Yeah, but then I think Ardayan thinks that sometimes marriage doesn't work and he has a lot of skepticism towards marriage because he feels like sometimes you're forced into it with someone you don't like just to meet social expectations. And it's impossible to stay loving and feeling attracted that, to that person for more than five to 10 years. And a lot of these long-term marriages, they just basically are roommates that don't really like each other. That's true. And it, it really, it, it can evolve, like mm -hmm. evolve into that. Yeah. yeah. I, I think it's, Andre, I think it's because Andre's just a rare, rare encounter. You know, Andre's mm -hmm. has that one in a million um, lucky pull, if you will, that experience to, to have such a good relationship. And I think that's what makes Andre stick out a bit. It's mm -hmm. not romanticized or idealized. He's just lucky in that respect you know yeah exactly there's people who are lucky in that they become the next bill gates or something and andre happens to be lucky in that he married someone that he was 
passionately in love with for his whole life. Right. It's right. definitely mm-hmm. something that does happen. It's just very rare. It's not very like rare. how in Hollywood they act like, you know, everyone's fate is like going to be like that unless you're known, unless you're like part of that 1% who never ends up with anyone. But it's not like that. And most people who do get married and even don't get divorced don't have this kind of happy ending. No, they don't. They don't. Yeah. That's the reality of it. So yeah. it's like, yeah. And I mean, that's what I try to show with Andre. He is the, the one lucky guy because- mm-hmm everyone else around him has like either a boring marriage like it's just there it's stagnant and just reality routine Mm -hmm. or it could maybe be toxic or abusive Mm -hmm. or just varying degrees of like you know yeah exactly yeah Yeah. so Ardeon doesn't want that he'd rather be single and just basically have flings that's true and I I guess how Andre feels about being single and having flings. Andre is very open to that because, you know, I think if Andre hadn't met Dasha, I think he would have been, and say the civil war hadn't happened. I think Andre would have been a flirtatious Cossack officer. You know, mm-hmm. I think he would have been, mm-hmm. you know, quite a flirt, you know, and, um, you know, he would have been maybe trying to be a bit dashing. I mean, on, on, elegant you know i'm in moscow dashing but like Mm -hmm. whatever southern dashing is you Mm -hmm. know exactly yeah yeah so that's how ardeon sees women and he's not really as misogynistic as people think he is you know i know like people assume that because he's a playboy or because you know he's kind of a lothario he has to be misogynistic in the traditional sense of thinking that women shouldn't do anything except for get married and have children but he's against that because he doesn't like the family life he thinks it's restrictive he doesn't think people have to have children if they don't want to and he's all for you know stuff like abortion and the woman choosing to do it He's not, right. he's not pro-life. He's pro-choice. He's pro-choice. Yeah, I would have to say, compare that to Andre. And I, I know I keep going back to Andre, but I'm just kind of like doing ping pong ball here with comparison. Mm-hmm. I think Andre is for the most part uh, pro-choice. I think it's a thing of where I think Andre wants, hopes people will understand there are consequences to either way, either choice you make, whether you choose to do it or not do it, there are reverberations mm-hmm. that come from that. And I think Andre seeing the kind of shit show that everything's going into um, under the new, under everything, under mm-hmm. life itself, maybe it's sometime better to do that because why mm-hmm. would you want to bring your life, child exactly. into a shitty life? Exactly. Yeah. yeah, he doesn't, I mean, Arayan doesn't believe in the sanctity of life. So he's the complete opposite of Republicans. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think with with Andre, like Andre knows that there is there. Here's the thing: Andre's thing on life and death is very weird, and this is and this stems from, you know, his military background, and it comes to the point where you have to think of it like a mercy killing. Like he believes that there is this life and that it's there, and you have to ask yourself there is a life, but are you going to make it miserable? Are you going mm-hmm. to put it, it's like putting an animal through agony, like he saw a lot of animals in agony or men through agony. Like he always thought some men who would get so badly wounded, wouldn't it be just better mm-hmm. just to end their life quietly than rather have them live like, you know, with no arms or legs or half their exactly. face. Yeah. And that's how he feels like with that, like 
if you don't have the resources to raise a child and you yourself are not emotionally, physically, and psychologically equipped to raise the child with love and care, then don't bring it out into the world. Don't bring this life into the world. Don't perpetuate that life. Mm-hmm. It would be a mercy killing to kill it. So it would be like, you know, euthanizing a wounded animal or uh, a person that's wounded beyond repair. Yeah, I think that's how Ardian kind of sees it as well. He doesn't see life as a blessing. Right, right. And he's definitely not the type to think that. Yeah, and and I guess also like Andre has a weird stance on things like even though Andre claims to be agnostic, he somehow feels like with all that if you do that then you know, maybe maybe the maybe the the, the life that you decided to terminate might have something better on an, on a spiritual realm. You know, I mean, Andre doesn't doesn't have confirmation of an afterlife, but he wants to believe there is one because mm-hmm. sometimes he just gets sick of all the shit around him, you know. Yeah. Well, Arda Jan thinks that there isn't an afterlife and he doesn't want there to be one. Like even if there is one, um he thinks that he has the choice to not have it. And I think we discussed this with um your other character, Natalia, who is yeah. from the afterlife, or she was in the past at least. Yeah, she's she still is. I think she's still going to be in the afterlife doing all sorts of crazy stuff. Um because yeah, she didn't understand. She's like, This is a second chance, Ardayan. Why don't you want it? I want it. You know? Yeah. Well, his viewpoint is that you know, like not everyone needs a second chance. He already did everything he wanted. And, you know, is the individual as a concept even necessary anymore when you're dead? What's the point of continuing to be conscious and even be a person once your life has passed? Like he doesn't like the idea of like this idea that there is a purpose in life and you have to accept it our day on. Like he wants it. He wants to decide for himself that there is no um, expletive purpose like I, I won't say that word but because I don't know who's listening to this but there is no gang um, purpose to life and basically he doesn't want to be told by any kind of power out there that there is and that you know he you have to suck it up he hates that he just wants to end his life and that's it why does he have to continue living because he's already killed himself and he's already said i don't want to live and why are you cursing me with this so i'm going to make it my goal to take down this authority kind of like his dark materials like asriel in his dark materials why do you have to force you know me to continue existing when i said i don't want to anymore that's true. I, I actually I actually find that kind of fascinating and it's very different from most of my characters like Natalia who wants it and and Andre who wants it because there's a lot more they want, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, to quote Deepash Mode, can't get enough, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, do you think that desire forms the base of life then? Because they only want an afterlife because they weren't able to achieve the things that they were, they wanted to achieve in their first life. But if they never had these desires, would they still want to have a second life? Because what is a person's identity without desires? If someone doesn't have any desires itself, like in Buddhism, they always say that there is no afterlife if you don't have a consciousness or if you don't have any desires. Because Buddha is the only person who was able to transcend human desire. So that's why he didn't have to go through reincarnation anymore. 
Ah, okay. I understand it now. I mean, you know, we discussed it before, but now that it's summed up in this one sentence, I realize it now. And I think if they did not have these desires, then they would probably not want an afterlife and perhaps maybe not be met with that opportunity. Like, for example, Natalia wants to redo her life. She wants the mm-hmm. reset button on her life. She wants to be better. Um, you know, she wants to form connections with people and really discover who she is, despite having a very weird, grotesque mm-hmm. form. You know? And Andre, on the other hand, wants an afterlife because he wants to be reunited with his loved ones because he felt he didn't get to spend enough time with them. And for Andre, who loves people too much, there's never enough mm-hmm. time to love I see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's how he is. That he wants sense. to see his mom and dad, his granddad. He wants to see his aunt. He wants to see Dasha. He wants to see all the friends he lost in World War One and the Civil War, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. So, you know, Andre's very determined, you know, to see what kind of afterlife there is. Maybe it's not the conventional one that the church taught him but there has to be something out there and and of course Andre like a good deal many Cossacks that you know a lot of people don't realize even though Cossacks were religious um and didn't like a lot of anti-religious stuff uh, their take on a lot of Christian ideas really differed from like you know traditional Russian orthodoxy type of things they were orthodox but they had a very unconventional way of approaching mm-hmm. it yeah yeah so, yeah I see that's Andre there for you but mm-hmm. yeah yeah you're right I think I think I think because Ardayan has satisfied these desires maybe that's why he's very content with uh, ending it all in his original storyline I don't think he has satisfied all his desires but there are some that are remaining but he feels like there's no point you know what I mean not right. everything has to come to an end I mean sorry everything eventually comes to an end and when the end arrives a lot of things become irrelevant it's like a child growing up right now you're 25 years old you're no longer seven years old you're not going to be still playing with that Pikachu doll Right. Or wanting right. another one of them. I mean, I, unless it's for nostalgia reasons, but I mean, not the same kind of want. Right. Exactly. That's how he sees life and death. I mean, once you move on to another stage in existence or non-existence, once your existence comes to an end, you won't have the same desires anymore. Right. It right. won't be irrelevant. That's, it won't be relevant. Yeah. So this is a very interesting nuance on Ardayan's viewpoint. Um, and his his perception of it, you know, and and how it differs. Um, so I get again another contrast with Andre, who tries to adapt to things and at least get the major thing he wants. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. I think Ardayan is at his core someone who is rather indifferent. I mean, yes, while while he loves people, you know, some people very deeply after they pass away and he grieves for them. I don't think he necessarily wants to see them again per se because he thinks that people change like after 20 years of not seeing that person does he want to see them again well maybe on some level but he's changed so much as an individual right so what can he say as someone who has changed so much and that person hasn't changed because they only remain a static memory in his head right that makes sense that does make sense so 
Yeah, he he is more more, if you will, uh, he's he's more transitional, like adaptive, than say Andre, because Andre mm-hmm. Andre is very insistent on what he thinks, what he likes, what he desires, and Andre. Andre will kind of try to change things around him to make him fit that, you know, mm-hmm. for example, I think that's why he wants the afterlife. And I think if Andre is met with an afterlife, it'll work for him, mm-hmm. you know, because of that desire. And, and I think the fact that the people around him are the same way, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and, and, you know, you have to remember, you know, I think Ardayan is more, of a detached individual as opposed to Andre who has like this very close tit not close knit group of things. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. How yeah. about how about Levin Riza? Are, do, would, do you consider them to be close knit on the Lower East Side <laughs> compared to I Andre's think, community? I would say so. In fact, I think there's a lot of similarities. I think there's, I mean, you know, to a degree, like I think Andre Andre likes their close knittedness, you know, in the respect that they're they're united for a goal. Like with with Andre and like say the the new society that he has to adapt to, it's him and a lot of other working class people trying to survive poverty mm-hmm. you know, and trying to make sense of yeah. like the new shit. Like oh, mm-hmm. more education, more technology. We got to adapt to this mm-hmm. crap. Yeah, and um, and also not get into trouble by saying anything you know like oh, yeah shut up, don't exactly. say that you know they'll hear us you know mm-hmm. um and i guess he appreciates levin rises because because they're also in the working class neighborhood and they're trying to survive mm-hmm. poverty exactly but at the same time they they have the freedom to say what they want though they can yes they do well. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but then they have to Art. face american assimilation which is much more nefarious i would say and yeah i guess well, yeah 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 it's more nefarious because sorry sorry because i wasn't sure but it's more nefarious because they always tell you that it's a democratic country right right so then you feel like you're free but are you really but and there's like the media and stuff right but in the soviet union they never tell you it's a free country and it's more heavy-handed so you know you can't say certain things but at the same time, you're not duped into thinking that, oh, this is the land of the free. Like, this is how people in America think. They think they're free, but are they really? That's what I was trying to get at. That's very true. That's very true. And then it's it's more so, it's more subtle. It's more underneath the current with American assimilation because you just slowly fall into it as opposed to like the heavy handedness mm-hmm. assimilation um, in Soviet Union, which wasn't really, at least for many people, it wasn't too cultural, but at least in Andre's viewpoint, it was mm-hmm. cultural because mm-hmm. it was a race and he mm-hmm. couldn't do anything cultural. Mm-hmm. So he had to kind of adapt to whatever urban mm-hmm. and civilian thing it was. Although yeah. he is lucky in that respect that he didn't move like say up north and that he's still in the south, with at least the same kind of genotype of people if we will. yeah exactly yeah um yeah what else about Ardayan should we discuss I think our our session has been longer than our usual ones has it already been past an hour I believe it has been I believe we have really discussed a lot about Ardayan um I guess we could I guess are we allowed to go into spoiler territory or um yeah why not <laughs> 
might as well um, <laughs> compare and contrast Ardayon with Katya as opposed to Andre. <laughs> yeah, we could go into that. Or should that be a separate session? I don't know. I don't think there's a lot to do because we haven't done a lot with either of them yet. It's true. So, yeah. So, um, well, you could start off with the with the comparison. How would you hmm. how would you rate them? Um, it's so hard because we didn't really do that much, and in the past, I don't think we really talked about Ardeon and Katya directly. It was always like a flashback. Yeah, it was a flashback. Um, I guess maybe it's intention. Maybe it's the whole thing is, is just intention and mannerism because I guess Andre, um, I, I guess maybe Andre wants to have something that's maybe more sustainable than Ardayan does with Katya. I think so, especially since how you talked about how um, Andre has always been into the whole family life thing, which, um, you know, Ardayan's against. Right, right, he is. And also, you know, I think, I think Andre, Andre is, is kind of self-aware of who he is. Like, I know, I know Ardayan is, but Art, but, but Andre knows that a lot of people think he's a rough brute. And, you know, people think a lot of negative things about him. So this is why he takes a lot of painstaking labor to be as gentle as he can with Katya and not scare her off with any of his, you know, bruteness or meanness or anything. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. He's very self-conscious. Well, I think Ardayan is, as we saw in The Sims last night, extremely overly confident. Right, right. And... That's, um, I think Ardayan, Ardayan knows who he is. That's the problem. I think he knows himself too well and he's just very cocky about it. He runs wild with it, you know? Mm -hmm, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Ardayan's definitely one of the more confident characters. I think even more so than Sam, right? Definitely more, definitely more. I mean, cause Sam's confidence it's more of a fake it till you make it. It's a survival tactic. While Ardayan really believes he is who he is, you know, I am mm -hmm. this, I'm that, this is me, you know, pay attention to me. And um, so yeah, very contrasting to Sam, uh, very contrasting to Andre, because I think Andre in his youth had some swagger, but it was more like, I'm doing this, so I can do this, you mm -hmm. know, and that's Andre's confidence. But of course, after all this stuff, Andre has no confidence. Um, the only thing he has that really pushes him forward is just having this sort of brutal strength and capability that people trust him. Oh yes, you know, the Voshkanov is disciplined, we can trust him. But then when it comes to like personal or social stuff, he, he feels very low. Like the only thing he can do is just put on this hard military thing. Mm -hmm. So that makes sense. That's why he's, um, a little bit I don't want to say shy but like you know you can really see he's really taking pains not to scare off Katya you know I think that's how um Ardayan differs from him in many respects because Ardayan is part of the military but he doesn't feel restrained by it like he can express his individuality that's another point I noticed that I think Ardayan can really express his individuality his confidence his swagger 
I think he represents a different kind of officer than Andre, because even Andre says that in the RP that he represents a different kind of officer. So Ardayan is more of a socializing officer. He's more of an ambassador type of officer, while um, and, and and maybe maybe administrative to a degree in the urban setting, while Andre himself feels more confident on the field with men and, and just this sort of you know, sheer core brute of humanity, you know. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. Do you think Andre, I think he probably is extroverted, right? But he feels a little bit more introverted than Ardayan is. I would say he is. Andre is in this, in this alternate universe is more introverted because I think he feels, um, well, well, Andre, Andre feels very confused about who he is and what he is. He's really trying to just kind of hide himself in the military because he's lost his POSSEC identity. He's lost his dignity and position. He's lost who he is. So he's really trying to just distract himself with the military. And I think he finds comfort in the tough drills, uh, the physical exertion, um, you know, taking raw young men and turning them into tough and soldiers and stuff mm-hmm. like that and being out in the field like Andre's even thinking about prior to meeting Katya about taking a position in the caucus, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and doing rough stuff there, you know, mm-hmm. and um, he kind of takes comfort in that, you know, and I, I think um, and, and he's a little bit, he's a bit of a different officer to a degree where he's not very machine or methodical a lot. Um, once men get know him, he actually does care for them. I think he worries about them a little bit because he knows that they're human and, and vulnerable too. They're not all just fighting machines, mm-hmm. you know, they, they write to their mother. They, they have a girlfriend back home and I think Andre kind of worries about them a little bit. And I, I think he's kind of thoughtful with them a little bit, but it's it's always under a very gruff mask. But his mm-hmm. men know that. I think that's why they like him because they know that, yeah, he may act like an asshole and yell and, you know, might give you a good thrashing if you act like an ass. But in reality, you know, he'd take a bullet for you. Mm-hmm. That makes yeah. sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that that's Andre's military career and I, I think he finds comfort in that because mm-hmm. he won't find comfort in the rest of society because the rest of society is just going to write him off as a hardened military brute and if anybody knows about his past they're just going to think he's some you know crazed savage you know mm-hmm. yeah well thank you so much for coming on today you know we explored a lot with Ardayan and, you know, I think we should explore him again in another session because there's still so much we haven't talked about. I mean, for example, we were talking about flawed characters. I guess Andre, as we discovered, is one of them. And he has many right. flaws that can be compared to Ardayan's, even yeah. though he's definitely less flawed than Ardayan is. But we haven't talked about Lukian in a lot of detail. I'd like to compare him to Ardayan more in the future and Efsay, because no, he's still very new. We haven't said much about him. So it would be nice to learn more about FSA too. It would be, it would be. And I, I guess just to throw a spoiler out there, I think FSA is to um, something of a provocateur. I know FSA is definitely a devil figure. He's definitely a Mephisto, a Mephistopheles figure as well. 
So I wonder how these two devil figures will interact with each other. I do not know. I would like to see that. I, I, I'm hoping maybe we can do that in future projects with them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much. Well, thank you so much. This was really awesome. Thank you. Bye. Bye.